0: Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, pilgrims. The Lord is with you. Do you ever struggle with insomnia? You like wake up in the middle of the night and just can't get back to sleep. I've got a sermon to help you with that. (laughs) That didn't come out exactly the way I intended. Back in the days when the churches had tape ministries and made cassette tapes of the pastor's sermons, they had a warning label on on the tapes that they distributed from our church not to listen to this while operating heavy equipment. It was so... (laughs) Sometimes we do, we, we toss and we turn at night because there's so much to be in control of, so much to worry over. There's the job and the kids and the house and the car and the vacation to plan and next week's sermon and there's taxes and bank books and college expenses and there are all the things to get done around the house and then the test results you're awaiting from the doctor and then... There's all your friends and family and all the things they're going through and our brains can just get into this vicious cycle and we just can't fall asleep. We've uh, got so many things to be responsible for. Those sleepless nights are reminders of our weakness and our vulnerability. We make our way through this life and we don't have control over everything as much as we would like to. And we are, truthfully, incapable of making this pilgrimage through life all on our own. We need more help than we can provide ourselves. But it's good news that Jesus doesn't just save us and give us a ticket to heaven and say, see you there. Instead, he promises to walk alongside us, to live with us, and to be intimately involved in those soap opera details and trivia of our lives. He is involved in all of that. He takes a keen interest in those very things that keep us up at night. But despite our own efforts and all our attempts to control all of that, we are not capable of protecting ourselves from everything that this pilgrimage and all the events that accompany it can throw at us. Traveling on pilgrimage in the ancient world meant that at any time walking down those rocky roads, you might step on a loose stone and twist an ankle. You might be out under the sun bearing down upon you all day long and suffer heat stroke or sunstroke or dehydration. If you traveled at night, they worried that being under the moonlight too long could make you lose your mind. That's where we get our word lunatic and lunacy from. Uh, that the moon would strike you down at night and our pilgrimage also leaves us open we are physically vulnerable to injury and disease and we are emotionally vulnerable to the stresses that bear down onto us like the heat of the sun and we too under those stresses can find ourselves uh, unstable in our thinking and maybe depressed and Deeply affected by all of that, and when we get to those places in life where all those kind of things are bearing down on us, where do we turn? Where, where do we find our help? It might be an assumption on our part that God is far too busy running the big details of the universe to have concerns about the tiny trivial matters of our own lives. He's managing the immensities of the galaxies and the stars and all of that and we're probably not even on his radar around these little tiny things and so often that leaves us turning instead of to God we turn to the culture around us for some kind of self-help or DIY uh, solutions to the things going on in our lives. We begin to think that the success of our pilgrimage is really all on our shoulders. It's all up to us. We're the ones who have to make this thing work. Or we might assume that God's gotten bored looking after us in our boring life, and he's giving his attention to more exciting Christians that are out there in the world doing more exciting things. Um, We might think that God has gotten disgusted on our pilgrimage with our tendency to meander off the way into disobedience here and there, and maybe he said, I'll be back to you when you get on the right way. Uh, Maybe God's lost touch with us. Maybe he's too busy fulfilling prophecy in the Middle East to be paying attention to our piddling needs. We can get to thinking that way, that we're on our own, and maybe God will be there tomorrow, maybe not, but we've got to make our way through this life around these little details, so we stay up at night. Those kinds of beliefs about God are really part of the problem. It's a false understanding of who God is and who God wishes to be in our lives. There was a best-selling kind of self-help book written some decades ago by M. Scott Peck called The Road Less Traveled. It has this famous opening sentence, three words, life is difficult. And then he goes on to explain that once we accept that life is difficult, it becomes less difficult. Part of the problem is our assumption that life should not be difficult, that we should not have troubles, we should not run into difficulties, and our expectations are constantly being dashed about that. Once we accept the reality that our journey through this life, our pilgrimage is going to be marked by a variety of things that are not pleasant, where's our help? How do we get help with that? Maybe we're thinking about these struggles all the wrong way. Eugene Peterson, uh, whom you might know from his uh, paraphrase of Scripture as the message. He also wrote a lot of books for pastors and a lot of Bible study books. Uh, but he was—he tells a story about one day deciding he was going to change the blade on his lawnmower. And he didn't look at the instruction manual. He turned the thing upside down. He got the biggest wrench he could find started pulling and pulling, trying to undo the, the nut that held the blade on, and he couldn't budge it. It seemed to be just frozen in place, so he, he got a big four-foot piece of pipe and stuck on the end of that wrench to get a little more leverage, and he tried and tried and couldn't get it to budge. And His neighbor was kind of noticing him from the yard next door, and he came over to the fence and said, I, I changed the blade on my lawnmower once, and it said in the manual that the nut that holds that on there is, is uh, threaded in reverse. You need to be turning it the other way. And uh, did came right off when you try and try to struggle the wrong way you only make things worse it's when we do things the right way and our turning to the culture around us to help us with our insomnia is probably not the best way uh, to get our way along in this pilgrimage our beliefs about God need to be turned right especially when life is not turning out the way we expected it to be Psalm 121, the choir just sang it beautifully for us, Psalm 121 is one of the songs those pilgrims sang as they made their way uh, from various parts of the country up, you always went up to Jerusalem no matter which direction you were traveling, north, south, east, west because it was Mount Zion and it was a spiritual ascent as well as a physical one. And they sang this song as they faced these dangers of physical injury and sunstroke and moonstroke. And this important question verse one, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where will my help come? That's a big question. You know, I look to the hills and the mountains uh, and we maybe see them as symbols of strength and might and power and Security, But the ancient Hebrews saw something else when they looked to the hills. When they looked to the hills, they were reminded that this is the place where the ancient gods of Canaan had been and continued to be worshipped. It's what is called in the Old Testament, the high places that were often people were commanded to take down or destroy the high places. It's the places where Baal and Asheroth and other pagan gods were worshipped up in the hills. And... this is the question that's being raised here. I I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Do I turn to Baal and Asheroth, to the gods of the culture? Do I go find protection on my pilgrimage by getting an amulet or a spell or a curse or something to protect me along the way? Is that where my help comes from? And verse 2 answers that because that's the wrong way. Verse two says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord who made heaven and earth, the creator, the one who manages this universe and created it, that's the one who is concerned about the details of my life. That's a hard thing to grasp. That the God who is big enough to manage this universe that we learn more and more about and God keeps it and has kept it, is the same God who is interested in your life and mine. Psalm 147, not one of these ascent songs, but it has this beautiful description as God who is both the God of the galaxies and the God of our broken hearts. Psalm 147, verses three and four says, "'He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds.'" He determines the number of the stars and gives to all of them their names. I I love the tension in that statement in the Psalms that he is this God who calls all the stars out and knows every one of their names, and he tends to binding up the wounds of our broken hearts. He is both and that. Now, if we're going to make our way successfully on the pilgrimage that is this life of following after Christ Like those ancient pilgrims, it would be really helpful if we had a song to keep the right things, the truth in mind. We need a song for this journey that reminds us of God's providential care in all of creation. We need a song that reminds us that God's providential care for us is absolutely unwavering. I have a friend named Keith Putt. He's a professor of philosophy at a at Samford University. And we used to be on the same faculty and we had an office that we shared together. And I learned a lot from Keith. I was interim pastor at a church in Sugarland, and one Sunday couldn't be there to preach and I asked Keith to fill in for me. And when I went back the next Sunday, uh, people were, they said, he scared us to death. And I said, what did he do? Well, Keith's fairly creative and he got up to preach, and he, his text that was given was John 3.16, and he started to preach, and he he just got going just a few minutes, and then he stopped, and he said, did you know that there's exactly 130, he had counted these beforehand, 132 lights in this room, and they're arranged, and he talked about the lights for a while, and people were going, this is kind of strange, and then he... He kind of never mind. He got back to the text to John 3.16 and talked for a little bit, and then he paused a little longer this time. He said, you know, when I was out in the parking lot coming in today, I met a man that reminded me of my Uncle Johnny back in Mississippi. And he told something about his Uncle Johnny, and kind John of wandered off, and people were wondering about him, and he got back to the text, and he was talking about John 3.16. In a little while, he paused for a third time, a real long time, till people were getting uncomfortable. And then he said, do you know what I've been doing? And there was a sigh of relief because at least he knew what he had been doing. <laughs> he said, I've been preaching the way you listen. And then he made his point. He said, you know what? God's, our attention wanders off all the time. We focus and we lose focus. We focus and we, and he said, John three sixteen reminds us that God never loses focus. He never takes his eyes off of us. He always loves us. He never loses attention. He never gets distracted. And uh, uh, they were a little relieved by the time they got to that point. But he scared them. The psalm says, God will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. We're encouraged to be able to surrender our insomnia because God has an incurable case. He never sleeps a wink. His eye, his attention is always on us. He never loses focus. Even the Hebrew structure of time is built around this understanding of God's constant watch over us, even through the night. You know how in Genesis, as the creation story is told, it sounds backwards, doesn't it? And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. We would say there was morning, there was evening, the first day. But in the Hebrews, the day started at sunset, not at sunrise, The day started at sunset, and when the day started, that was time for human activity to come to an end. Eat your last meal, put things in order, and go to bed and rest through the night. And the next morning, when you got up, the day was half over, and you've done nothing. You've been unconscious for half a day, and God has been at work through the night, protecting, preparing, working. And that perspective carried over beyond just day and night. It was the understanding that no matter where you went, God got there first. And it is a better understanding than the one our culture has. You and I sleep all night. We're useless at night. We can't do anything. But God doesn't sleep a week. And God is preparing the day. And God is at work in all of these places. And when we get up in the morning, we just step into the day. Before we've had our first cup of coffee, we step into the day that God's already got well underway and well under control. And every conversation we enter into, God got there first Every meeting we go to, God was in the room first. Every worship service we gather for, God got here first. He is always, the theologians called it, prevenient. He comes before us. He goes before us. And we can take great comfort in that, that God is already at work. He never sleeps. Pagan gods, on the other hand, were thought to have a problem with that. They slept. You might remember Elijah having the God contest on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and uh, they built an altar and they were trying to persuade their false god, Baal, to send lightning and consume the altar and they were beating themselves and crying out and praying. And Elijah started mocking them. He says to them in uh, 2 Kings 18, I think around verse 27, at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, (coughs) cry louder, surely he's a god. Either he's meditating or he's wandered away or he's on a journey or maybe he's asleep and has to be awakened. But not our God. He never has to be awakened. He who keeps Israel never sleeps, he never slumbers. Sometimes it might seem when we're in the midst of the rigors of our journey and things are not going the way we wanted or how we expected and life seems a bit chaotic or out of control, it may feel like God has lost attention or that he's fallen asleep on the job. Sometimes you'll even find in the psalms themselves, the psalmist praying that very honest feeling because that's a very real feeling we have sometimes. Psalm 7, 6, arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Wake up, God, don't you see what's going on? Or Psalm 35, 23, awake and rise to my defense. Contend for me, my God and my Lord. God, please wake up and do something about what's going on here. Psalm forty four twenty three. 23, awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. That's a secret of the Psalms. The Psalms help us pray every feeling we ever have, feelings of anger and hatred and abandonment. We pray those things. That doesn't mean they're true, that God really has fallen asleep, but it feels that way sometimes, like the disciples trying to wake Jesus up in the back of the boat. Awake, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? But it's Psalm 121 that corrects that perspective. We may feel that way, but Psalm 121 assures us his attention never wavers. He never forsakes us. Our God never sleeps. He's not like those pagan ones. There was a 19th century preacher named Thomas Chalmers. He wrote these beautiful words about this reality. He said, when I walk by the wayside, He is along with me. When I enter into company amid all my forgetfulness of him, he never forgets me. In the silent watches of the night, when my eyelids are closed, my spirit has sunk into unconsciousness. The observant eyes of him who never slumbers are upon me. I cannot flee from his presence. Go where I will, he leads me and watches me and cares for me, the same being who is now at work in the remotest domains of nature and of providence, is also at my hand to make more full every moment of my being and to uphold me in the exercise of all my feelings. Chalmers had a grasp on this truth, that our God, no matter how we feel, no matter what circumstances may appear to be, our God never loses attention. He never wavers. His Loving care is upon us. And we need a song sometime to remind us of that. Psalm 121 does it. So go on to sleep tonight. All your worrying's not gonna make a bit of difference in the world. And there's one who will stay awake and watch so you can sleep. It's a good thing to know. And regardless of how circumstances appear around us while we're making this pilgrimage. We need a song to remind us that God's providential care is all-inclusive. It touches all parts of our lives, all parts of our lives. There's no sacred and secular part of your life. It's all one life. It's all sacred. There's no spiritual and physical part of your life. It is all life lived in the presence of God who is spirit. His care for us includes everything that goes on in our life. He cares about our thoughts and our actions, our bodies and our minds. He cares about our relationships with our family, our friends, uh, total strangers, even our enemies. What we feed our minds and our bodies is a concern to him. He cares about us. There's no stronger way to put it. He cares about what happens in our life and all of its details. Verse 5 in the Psalms says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. If you look at that psalm, you you see that word keep. Some translations will render it watch and some will render it guard. It's all the same word. It's a word like a shepherd watching over their flock. The Lord will keep you. Uh, He guards you. He watches you. In any and all circumstances, God's eyes are upon us. He is keeping us, watching us, guarding us. He will not let your foot be moved, that physical threat. He, the sun will not harm you by day, the moon by night. It doesn't promise the sun will not beat down on us, but it will not harm you. In the stresses and circumstances that are inevitably a part of our lives, he promises that there will come to us no ultimate harm. He will be with us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and we will at times, he says he promises to be with us on this pilgrimage. Even death itself, when it comes, is not an ultimate harm for those who walk in faith in Christ, for he is resurrection and the life, and those who live and believe in him, he said, will never Die. Lena Sandel uh, lived in the 19th century. She was born in 1832. She was the daughter of a Swedish Lutheran pastor. She loved her father very much. She had been stricken in childhood with a partial paralysis that left her bedridden most of the time. Her parents were confident that God was going to heal her someday, but uh, the doctors were not hopeful. One Sunday when she was 12, her parents were at church and had left her at home in bed, and she was reading her Bible and praying, and she was healed. When her parents came home from church that day, they found her dressed and walking about the house. It was an amazing kind of thing, and uh, she began at age 12 to write poetry about her life with God. By the time she was 16, she published a book of it. A few years later, she was 26, she was sailing across Lake Vaten with her father and there was a, a storm, her father fell overboard and drowned right before her eyes. And she became even more prolific in writing these beautiful poems. One of, she wrote about 600 hymns altogether. One of those hymns is one that many of you would know. It is called Day by Day and With Each Passing Moment. Most of her Poems reflect this kind of almost childlike trust in Jesus as Savior and the awareness that he is with her all the time. She wrote, every day the Lord himself is with me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me. He whose name is counselor and power. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As your days, your strength shall be in measure. This is the pledge to me he made. Help me then in every tribulation so to trust your promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within your holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, air to take is from a father's hand, one by one, the days, the moments fleeting, until I reach the promised land. The point of her poem, the point of the psalm, is this understanding that everything that comes our way is something that is under the hand of God's providential care. Nothing escapes it. It's not to say that God sends these things. That it is to say that God is present when they come and that God is our help during those times and that God will strengthen us for those days and that God will use them. He will not waste them to form us into his own image, working them together for good in our lives and for his kingdom. That's the promise to hold on to. And he protects us through the journey. In spite of the way events occur, we need a song on the journey to remind us that God's providential care is unending; it never stops. He says, down in verse seven and eight, "The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time more, from this time, and forevermore." You can hear an echo of that in Paul's confidence there in a prison cell near the very end of his life in 2 Timothy four eighteen. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is this confidence that God's promise to care for us is an unending one. Never wavers. It includes everything and it never ends. It's a warranty that will not expire. The Christian life is a pilgrimage. It is a journey a going to be with God. And we travel the same ground and breathe the same air and drink the same water and shop the same stores and hear the same daily news and are buried in the same ground as people around us. And along the way, we face the same dangers, the same pressures, the same difficulties, the same distresses. We're not granted an exemption from these things just because we've decided to follow Jesus Christ. The pilgrimage itself can be brutal at times. But we are promised that we're accompanied by God, ruled by God, cared for by God, observed by God, watched by God all along the journey. He delivers us from evil. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer. He keeps our lives. He watches over us with this unwavering, all-inclusive, never-ending grace. So tonight... Why don't you rest your head on your pillow and let God's incurable insomnia relieve you from the pressures of having to be in control of your world because he watches over. Let's pray. Almighty God, you're the creator of heaven and earth. You've left us with needs in our life, but you've never left us without supply. The needs we feel, our hunger, our thirst, our loneliness, our frustration, our fear, our weaknesses, they're all there to cause us to lift our eyes up to you. There's no help to be found in the surrounding hills of our culture. You, Creator, are the source of our help. The circumstances some in this room face even today are so stressful, Lord, And you've promised they cannot harm the child you protect Even those who face death have not been ultimately harmed, for you've removed death's sting, you who are the resurrection and the life. And Father, you've promised that nothing we face can separate us from the love you have demonstrated to us in the cross. Death can't, and life can't, and angels and demons can't, and today's difficulties and tomorrow's trials can't do it. Your love transcends all that we face. What we ask of you, Father, is that you teach us to find our help in you. May we learn to trust you in every circumstance, in every trial, in every difficulty, in every failure. Teach us to rest well knowing that our lives are in your hands and you will never cease to attend to us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church Podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.